Well, I'm going to continue today our study uh, of the letter to the Romans. And we come to a spot, we come to a, a place in Romans where we are at the precipice, if you will, of the promised land. Because everything out in front of us in Romans 321 to chapter 8, folks, it's just, it's just abundance and, and goodness and, and blessing, especially if you've been picking up what we learned through these early chapters where you and I are not righteous, we're not in good standing with God, and yet as we cross over into this promised land, what we're going to find is the gift of righteousness. We're going to find the opportunity to stand before God rightly. And not to stand there just rightly, but with security, with confidence. Man, I can stand there before God and know nothing, nothing is ever going to condemn me before God. Nothing is going to be able to separate me from the love of God. That, that's what we're getting ready to go in and claim. That, that's what we're getting ready to go in and, and learn about. We're, we're going to learn about peace. Peace. Man, everything is okay between us and God. And because everything's okay between us and God, everything's going to be okay between us and life. We're going to learn that we've been adopted. God literally adopts us as His children. He doesn't want us to just enjoy His love and benefits as a good friend. He wants to legally bind Himself to us. He, he wants to make us His legal heirs in all that He's giving and blessing with. Folks, I think what you're going to find, these chapters before us, chapters about 321 through the end of chapter 8, they're some of the best chapters in the whole Bible. Now, that's an opinion, but I, I think they're just some of the very best in, in the whole Bible. Now, to get to this place, boy, we did walk through some wilderness, didn't we? Do you remember some of that? I, I've preached 10 messages so far in Romans, and the last five, five in a row, not one, not three, five messages in a row, we looked at our depravity. We looked at very detailed look that we're not okay. We're not okay before God. You know, we, we might have good moments and we might do good things. But folks, those moments, those, those good things that we do, they don't change the presence of impurity. They don't change the presence of the poison. You remember the chocolate cake? Some of you here for that back in the summertime? That doesn't change. That's still there. We're not okay before God. Now, that's not a message we like to hear. Nobody likes to be told you're not okay. Or even worse, that you can't fix it. Because not only did we see that we're not in right standing with God, but we also saw we can't fix the problem. We tried. Well, we stepped up. We said, you know what? We're going to intellectualize this. We're, we're going to fix this with how smart we are. And when we were done, we were further from God than when we started. Well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to fix this problem by being a good moral person. I'm going, to, I'm going to bring my morality to this. Folks, you know what? You don't even obey your own rules. Forget the Ten Commandments. You're not good at obeying your own set of rules. We all got little things we think this is right and this is wrong. We're not faithful to our own rules, much less God's. Well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, I'm going to fix this by being religious. I'm going, to, I'm going to cover all the rituals. I'm going to cover all the rites. I'll dot the I's, cross the T's. I'm going to be a, a religious person. The problem is we can do all this outward activity and it changes nothing in the heart. It doesn't, doesn't change one thing in our heart. So, man, we've got a problem. We're not okay with God. We can't solve that. We can't fix that. Do you remember looking at these passages? 
Let, let me do this. I want to I read some of the passages that we've, we've been through this summer in, in Romans. Just kind of, I'm not going to comment on them or explain them. Just kind of reread them and uh, refresh ourselves with where we've been. Open with me to Romans chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, we've got some in the chairs in front of you. Hope you'll grab one and, and study along. You'll find Romans after the, in the New Testament, after the Gospels, after the book of Acts. Uh, you get to Corinthians, Galatians, you've gone too far. Look at Romans chapter 1, and I'm going to begin in verse 20. Romans chapter 1, verse 20. It says there, From the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, that is, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through what He has made. As a result, people are without excuse. For though they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became nonsense and their senseless minds were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Look at verse 28. And because they did not think it worthwhile to have God in their knowledge, God delivered them over to a worthless mind to do what is morally wrong. They're filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, and wickedness. They're full of envy, murder, disputes, deceit, and malice. They're gossip, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. Although they knew full well God's just sentence, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, they even applaud others. Who practice these things. Look at chapter 2 verse 1. Therefore any one of you who judges is without excuse. For when you judge another you condemn yourself. Since you the judge you do the same thing. Look at verse 5. But because of your hardness and unrepentant heart. You are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath. When God's righteous judgment is revealed. He will repay each one according to his works. And then look at chapter 3, verse 10. It says there, as it is written, there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. Verse 18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. You know, those verses are about you. That's, that's what's written about you, about me. That's our status. That's our position without Christ. That, that's who we are before a relationship with Christ. That's how God looks at us. He's talking about you right there. Man, how does that make you feel? Sad? Mad? D- defensive? You know, it's not fun looking at passages like that. But it's necessary. It's necessary for us to see who and what we are without Christ. It's necessary for us to see before we go in and claim all the good that God has, that it's not our goodness that produced that. As a matter of fact, there's another time, there's another group of people standing on the boundary of the promised land. that They too have walked through the wilderness and now they're about to go in and claim a lot of good stuff. And listen to the challenge, listen to the command that God gives them before they go in and get this. Look with me in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. Open your Bible, the first book of the Bible, Genesis, and then head to the right. It's five books in. Genesis, Exodus, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, 
And then Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 9. And look at verse 3. Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 3. It says, But understand that today the Lord your God will cross over ahead of you as a consuming fire. He will devastate and subdue them before you. You will drive them out and destroy them swiftly, as the Lord has told you. When the Lord your God drives them out before you, do not say to yourself. Now, folks, that's a command. You're being told not to do something. What am I being told not to do? You're not to say this to yourself. Well, what do I say to myself? Well, let's find out. I just lost my place. Where am I? Verse 4. There we go. Do not say to yourself, the Lord brought me in to take possession of this land because of my righteousness. That's, that's what I'm not supposed to say to myself. I, I'm getting this because of how good I am. I'm getting this because of how righteous I am. Instead, the Lord will drive out these nations before you because of their wickedness. You're not going to take possession of their land because of your righteousness or your integrity. Instead, the Lord your God will drive out these nations before you because of their wickedness. In order to keep the promise, he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Understand that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness. Is that, is that the third time he's just said that? God's kind of repeating himself. Do you ever repeat yourself? Why do you repeat yourself? Usually you repeat yourself because you think the person is not getting it or you know they're going to do it anyway. So you start repeating yourself, right? You think that might be what God's doing right here? Listen, it's not your righteousness. You are a stiff-necked people. Look at verse 7. Remember, that's a command. You and I, the Israelites, remember and do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God in the wilderness. You have been rebelling against the Lord from the day you left the land of Egypt. Folks, you and I have a great propensity to think we're good. To, to think we're owed. You know, because I'm good, I'm owed good. And, and so before these Israelites are about to head into the promised land and they're about to possess really all this good. I mean, that's what God has for them. It's what God has for you. But before we go in and possess all this good, he says, now wait a minute, before you get it, I want you to understand something. This isn't because of how good you are. It's because of how wicked they are. And the good, I'm a promise keeper. I'm going to fulfill my promises for good in your life. Now folks, like the Israelites, you and I kind of stand at a, at a metaphorical edge of the promised land. I mean, we, we really, when we enter the chapter 3, verse 21, and on up to chapter 8, man, there's just, there is eternal abundance, there is eternal goodness, there is a lot that's going to be communicated about what God has for you, about what God has done for you, and he says, remember, stop. Everything you're learning, everything you're getting, it's not because I owed it to you, it's not a reward for how good you are. We do well to remember. Remembering is good for our spiritual health. We need to do that. But you know what? Our culture of Christianity doesn't really steer us that direction. It used to. Man, you go back to the, the 17 and 1800s and you look at preachers and you look at their sermons week in and week out. And, and there was a pretty steady diet of keeping people's depravity in front of them. It wasn't just saying depravity is, oh, you're really a bad person, but it's keeping in front of them. Hey, you know what? You can sin. And your sin can harm you. It can harm your life, your spiritual life and well-being. It can harm your family. 
You can harm people around you. You can, you can divide and hurt a church. You can bring shame on the name of Christ. You're not, no, no, God doesn't owe you. Nobody owes you. These things were kept in front of them. Today, I don't want to hear that. I, I don't, I want to hear how good a person I am. I want to hear about my potential. And, and, and if I just add a little Jesus to my potential, man, it's just, you know, the sky's the limit. Folks, if you stop and think about it, there's whole ministries out there on the landscape of America. That's their theme. That's what they're built on. All of your potential. And you just take a little Jesus, you take a little scripture and, and strap it to your potential. And, and man, everything's yours. Boy, I tell you what, talking about depravity in the midst of that, that's no fun. <laughs> I don't, that doesn't fit real good into that. You know, folks, to be honest with you, I, I, I didn't have fun preaching about those five sermons in a row. It's not fun to look at that week after week after week. I mean, I asked the Lord, I think it was after about sermon number three. I said, Lord, can I just walk in and tell them they're all just worthless and, and nothing and just be done with it? No, I had to keep working through those passages. You know, it's not fun to stop and hear a message like that, to look at the truth of a message like that. But you know what? It's necessary. It's necessary for your spiritual well-being. It's necessary for your spiritual health. I want to show you a couple of things today, four things that come as a result of keeping our depravity in front of us. First of all, depravity drives us to humility and dependence. Now, now folks, humility and dependence aren't just important to your spiritual life. They are your spiritual life. You don't have a spiritual life. You don't have a life that counts before God without humility and dependence because we're not going to come to God without that. Until I realize I'm broken and I can't fix it, until I realize that I'm not okay, until I become humble and then turn and depend upon God, not in my goodness, but depending upon His goodness, that's when the spiritual life begins. So you don't even have a spiritual life without humility and dependence. And of course, coming into a spiritual life is not just an event. It's not just a moment. It's a whole way of life and it takes humility. It takes dependence to trust in God, to keep growing in Him, to keep depending upon Him. But humility and dependence are not characteristics natural to us. You know, I think we might assume that it is. As a matter of fact, we might look at people, you know how you say, well, they're naturally this or naturally that. We might look and say, oh boy, this person, boy, they, they just naturally, they have a lot of confidence. Matter of fact, sometimes their confidence annoys us, doesn't it? We say they're arrogant, they're, they're cocky, you know, and, and they're, they're, they just, they're born that way. And like that, we might say of somebody else, they're naturally humble. Not true. There's nobody on the planet that has ever been naturally humble. You stop and think about that and think, well, no, wait a minute, I've seen some people I thought... We take some things that look like humility and describe it as humility. For instance, folks, being shy is not humble. Being quiet and reserved, that's not what humility is. Thinking bad about yourself, boy, we're good at that too, aren't we? You know, look in the mirror and talk about what a, I'm just a horrible person, can't do anything good. That's not humility. That, that's not what we're talking about. When we're talking about keeping our depravity in front of us, we're talking about humility. That's not what it is. Humility is not thinking bad about yourself. It's thinking about greatness about God. It, you see, humility is getting over myself. 
Uh, instead of being absorbed with me and my agenda and my feelings and, and what I'm doing in life. And folks, a loud person and a quiet person, an arrogant person and a shy person can both be completely and totally absorbed with self. So that's not humility. Humility is so absorbed with God, who He is, what He's doing. And you know what? When you're absorbed with God, you always end up being absorbed with others. Because when you're about God, you're about the well-being of others. It takes humility. And we don't naturally take on humility. Something's got to drive us there. It's our depravity. And when we realize, hey man, I'm weak. Hey, I can, I have failed. Then we turn and we depend upon God. As we become overwhelmed with our depravity, we say, man, you know, my, my strength, my wisdom, my resources aren't going to get it. And so I begin to turn and depend upon God and His resources and His power and His wisdom. Our depravity drives us to dependence and humility. Absolutely critical to the spiritual life. Depravity also drives us to accountability. Folks, by God's design, and I don't know why this is, you can ask them when you get to heaven. But, but by God's design, the, the Christian life, the spiritual life, works together. It, it's together. We need each other. The second you become a believer, He puts you in the body of Christ. The second you become a follower of His, He makes you a part of a group. The Christian life is lived alone. That super mom, that super woman that can handle everything and seems to be able to juggle it all and do it all. That man who can, who, who's independent and quiet and strong and, and he can take care of himself. That's not God's woman and that's not God's man. You won't see a single verse in all the Bible that suggests that what God is looking for, that what God rewards and blesses is the self-reliant, the independent and the alone being strong. You don't say anything like that. He's looking for how you and I come together and depend upon each other. You know, he's looking, when, when, when depravity overwhelms me, I get to the place where finally I ask for prayer. And you ask for prayer. That's what God wants of us. Yeah, prayer for surgery and bills and things like that. But God's looking for that time when you and I start asking each other for prayer. And it's the kind of stuff we don't actually want to say to anybody. Like, hey, would you, would you pray for me, man? I... I read scripture and it looks like God wants me to love my wife the same way God loves his church. I'm horrible at that. Man, I look at my thought life and there's, man, there's greed and there's anger and there's, there's lust. Man, would you pray for me about that? Would you, would you be praying that God would get a hold of my mind and that I'll get convicted by that? Man, would you pray I'd be a better witness? I mean, if I'm being honest, I don't care at all about being a witness. I don't want to talk to anybody about that. Would you pray for me? Would you hold me accountable to that? See, these are conversations. We don't want to have that. I don't want to go tell people that about myself. This is the stuff we hide, right? Folks, the things you're hiding are the things you're to be asking believers to be praying for you about. And it's not only you and I initiating conversation and saying, would you pray for me? Folks, it's you and I letting people come into our lives and ask those kinds of questions. Hey, are you praying? You reading your Bible every day? Hey, where were you in church the last... You get the point. Hey, how, how are you being a follower of Christ in your home? I don't want people asking me these questions. You know, we, you, you come ask me these questions, I'll tell you where to get off. I mean, this ain't the airport. 
whole lot more people got that in the second service. You'll get it in a little bit. You'll be driving home. Ah! <laughs> I don't want people. I don't want people coming into my life like that. And I don't want people. I don't want to be offering people stuff about my life like that. Folks, the very things you and I are trying to run from is what God wants to see happen in our lives. And what makes the Christian life work. When I become aware of my depravity. My willingness to open up and share because I have a need that I can't fix. I'm not strong. I do need help. And, and I, need to, I need to ask and I need people who will come into my life and ask. Folks, are you building the kinds of relationships where people will ask these kinds of questions? Where you can go to them and say, hey, could you pray for me like this? Most of us aren't. E even in church. And see, folks, I would say that the application is, man, we need to be building godly Christian relationships. Yes, to study the Bible. Yes, to go get pizza together. But even more so that we can get to this next level. If you're not building relationships like this in your life, you're not in God's will. Whatever else you might have going on, whatever else you might be doing, you're not in God's will. God's will for you is to be engaging relationships like this, to be building relationships like this, pursuing them yourself, allowing others to pursue you in the same way. Folks, this is one of the reasons we're always talking about moving from getting beyond the big room where we all kind of come in here and be spectators of a moment and we get into the smaller room. The Bible fellowship class where we can start building those relationships. It's not easy. It's not easy and it's not natural. As a matter of fact, until you get overwhelmed with your depravity, you probably won't do anything about it. Do you see why now it's important to keep that depravity in front of us? I'm not okay by myself. I need help. And that's the way God designed it. We're supposed to need each other. And that kind of leads to the third point. They kind of go together. Being aware of my depravity also helps make us, make us more, more gracious. Makes us more gracious. Folks, there's all kinds of commands in the Scripture about how we're to relate. We're to be kind with one another, loving, forgiving, patient, bear with one another. You know what bear with one another means? It's awful. It means I've got to put up with you. It means you've got to put up with me. I don't want to put up with people. See, when I'm not aware of my depravity and I'm not humble, then my, my mind is filled with me. When my mind's filled with me, it's about my happiness and my agenda. And people become either one of two things. They're helping me meet my happiness and agenda or they're in the way of my happiness and agenda. That's pretty much it, isn't it? I mean, people really don't fall in any other category. Either they're helping me be happy or they're in the way of me being happy. And boy, there's not enough over here on this side helping me be happy. You see, we get put out with people. People are just, they're just in the way. And, and you notice how if people were just like us, they'd be so much better. <laughs> we distance ourselves from people. You know, they're, they're, they're just such a mess. They don't think right. They don't act right. They don't do right. They don't smell right. They don't want right. If they were just a little bit more like me, gosh, the world would be a better place. Well, there's a lot of people out there to be annoyed with, aren't there? Think of the person that you are most annoyed by and is the biggest mess. You got one in your mind? Yeah, it took you about one second to... <laughs> yes, I got him in mind. I'll see him tomorrow. Oh gosh, I hope they're not sitting in here with you. <laughs> Woo. Yeah, we know, we know who's annoying in our life. We know who's in a big mess in our lives. Now, I want you to imagine, what's the distance between you and them? 
I mean, honestly, in our mind, there's a lot of distance, right? They're a mess. I'm not. They're annoying. I'm not. Did you know from God's perspective, the distance between the two of you and the distance between you and him? Guess who you're closer to? The mess. <laughs> yeah, if you stop and think about it from his perspective, I mean, you, you, might, you might be better off than somebody else, but man, from where God's looking, folks, we're all a mess. And when I keep my depravity in front of me, I realize, boy, maybe I'm not just quite the prize I thought I was. Maybe from God's perspective, I'm kind of a mess also. And when I realize that about myself, then that, that, helps, us, that helps us be a little bit more patient with each other, doesn't it? I mean, see, if I'm not patient with you, if I'm not putting up with you, I mean, folks, there's like 30 or 40 commands in the New Testament. That means that every day of my life I'm disobeying. And yet I'm asking for God's blessing in my life, right? God, come and bless me. I'm a pretty good person. Really? Because there's like 30 commands you will disobey every day you wake up. Oh, really? I thought there was just like 10, and I, I had most of those. <laughs> yeah, man. Become more gracious with others. Lastly, folks, I think when we keep our depravity in front of us, we're a lot more grateful. We're just a lot more grateful. You know what? When when we think, when we act like we're owed something, then we're we're not going to be grateful for it. And, And we have a tendency to act like everything's owed to us. You know? You know what? It's a good thing to have a job today, isn't it? It's a good thing to have a job right now. And you might be thankful for your job. You might say to your boss, boss man, I'm thankful for my job. But you know what you don't say you're thankful for? Your paycheck. I'm thankful for the, jo- the job, but the paycheck's mine. I earned that. I, I, that's mine. I deserve that. You, you see, we have a hard time. You might say, dear boss, thank you for my job. But you don't say, dear boss, I just want to write you a little thank you note. Man, I'm sure, I sure love my paycheck. I love your signature. Gosh, that's beautiful. No, I'm not saying, the paycheck's mine, I'm owed that. Folks, we have the ability to look at a lot of life and think, I'm owed that. I mean, think about every time you're angry, and I bet you were at least once this week. You know why you're angry? Because you're not getting something you believe you're owed. You know, I go out, pull the lawnmower, pull it one time, it doesn't start, now I'm angry because I deserve to have my lawnmower start after one pull. And if I have to get to where I'm sweating and huffing and puffing, then I'm going to start kicking and throwing stuff. You know, why are you angry at somebody? Because they're not doing something you're owed. See, I think all this stuff is owed to me. So we get, we get angry, we get frustrated, we get stressed out and tied up. Instead of acknowledging and appreciating, man, the whole thing's a gift. The air we breathe is a gift. Life is a gift. Eternal salvation is a gift. Forgiveness is a gift. The opportunity to be adopted by God. What a gift. Strengths and abilities and and resources. It's a gift. But watch this. Disabilities. Weaknesses. And a lack. Those are gifts too. Now wait a minute. I'll say thank you for the stuff over here. But I'm not saying thank you. That's not a gift. I, I, thank you for abilities. Why would I say thank you for a disability? Folks, it's all from God. I'm not saying God sent every specific thing, but ultimately God's in control of all things. 
And the Bible says that every good thing in your life comes from His hands. Directly. You have a good conversation, that's from His hands. You go outside and enjoy a blue sky, that's from His hands. You just have warm fuzzies inside, that's from His hands. But you got some bad things going on, some disabilities, some weaknesses, some failures. What the Bible tells me is everything is in the hands of my good God and He's working it out for good in my life. There's no bad in my life. Because everything God is using, ultimately, that when He's all done, I'm going to look just like Jesus Christ. Not only am I going to look like Jesus, but the Bible says in Romans 8, I'm going to be rewarded like I was Jesus. You, you think I deserve that? You think I'm owed that opportunity? I can't even imagine the most arrogant person on the planet could think, yeah, I deserve to look like Jesus. Yeah, I deserve to be rewarded like Jesus. That's what God's doing in your life. Everything in your life is a gift from God or it is a work He's doing in your life to bring out a good thing. You know, when you start to realize, man, it's all a gift. It's not because of what I've done, how smart I am, how strong I am, how fast I am, how wealthy I am, how whatever I think I am. It's not my goodness, it's His goodness. Folks, there's a lot of profit that comes from keeping our depravity in front of us. And remember, that, that's, that's not going home and just thinking about what a bad, awful person you are. It is being aware, continually and constantly, I have sinned, I can sin, I can damage, I can hurt, I can harm with sin, people all around me and God's church. If we're going to talk about what I deserve in my own living, I deserve death and hell. That's what it means to keep depravity in front of us. But when we keep that in front of us, it produces these things so vital to a healthy spiritual life. The question becomes, how do we do that? How, how do we keep our depravity in front of us? Let me give you three ideas real quick. Number one, read your Bible every day. You need something in your life that's going to tell you the truth every day. The truth about God, the truth about life, the truth about you. Read your Bible every day. Number two, obey the Bible. It tells you not to be proud. It tells you not to put a lot of stock in the way you think, in your own, in your own estimation of things. And lastly, don't downplay your sin. Do you realize there is an everyday train of thought going through your mind where you're either downplaying sin or justifying sin? Every day of your life, you're doing this. I'm doing this. I'm either making my sin small. Oh, this is no big deal. Oh, God's probably not that bothered by this. Oh, this is just, I just have a few. You know, th th you know so we downplay them or we justify them. We know it's a big sin, but, but they didn't. But they did. Or we may even say, I've done that because of God. We're going to justify it. Folks, sin's not okay. Sin is not okay, and you in sin are not okay. Don't downplay it. Don't justify it. Don't try to remove it away. Fight that temptation. Resist it. Sin is not okay. Folks, what I've tried to do today is not, it's not a summary of what we've already done before we start a new section of Romans. I, I would call today a so what sermon. I, I've, I've read Romans 1 through 3, so what? Man, I've read Romans 1 through 3, I should, man, I should really strive after humility and dependence a lot more. 
man, I don't, I don't have any relationships I'm trying to get closer in and become more real in and ask for help. If I'm being honest, I'm not, I don't even want, I don't even sure I want those relationships. I've read Romans 1 through 3, man, I really need that. I really need to take a step to start building some stronger godly relationships. Man, I've read Romans 1 through 3, I sure do need to be a lot more gracious. I sure can be put out by people. I'm not such a prize. I really probably should work at being more kind, more patient, more forgiving. Man, I've read Romans 1 through 3, I sure should be thankful. In light of the reality of my status without Christ, I really should be thankful for all that I have. Moses said it. Paul said it. God is saying it. Keep your depravity in front of you. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, and Lord, a lot, a lot of times I think when, when we come to church, when I come to church, I, I want to be encouraged, Lord. It, it is, it's a harsh world out there, God, and I, I know I'm not telling you something you don't know. I'm just trying to explain myself, God. It's, it, it's, it's hard. People are mean. Uh, they're cutting. There's people attacking us. They're tearing us down. There's a lot out there at the, in the schools, in, in work, to... End of the day, we just feel worthless. I, God, I come to church. I need somewhere I can go where I can be encouraged and, and built up and be given some good news. Lord, give me the ability, give us the ability and the discernment to be able to separate the kinds of things we've read in Romans 1 through 3 and the world's name calling. You're not telling us what you're telling us in Romans 1 through 3 because you want to cut us down and make us feel worthless. You're not telling us that so that we'll feel bad about ourselves. She's telling us the truth. And until we engage in the truth, we won't reach out and claim all the good that you have for us. If we don't keep the truth in front of us, we won't respect and take care of the good that you have for us. So Lord, I pray we don't confuse the two. I pray we can understand that you tell us the truth in kindness, in love. You tell us the truth for our well-being. So I pray we respond to it rightly and appropriately with humility and dependence and a, and a commitment to serve others and to, to let them serve us because we have needs. Lord, there's people in this room today who do not know the security of a future where they will stand before God in all righteousness. And for that person, I pray that today would be the day that changes. Today would be the day they have a status change. And in a moment when our congregation stands and sings, Lord, I pray that they'll hear your voice, not mine, not anything in the music, but in you. They hear you saying, you need me. You need me. Come forward. Take a step of faith. Tell one of these pastors, I need a relationship with Christ. Lord, let them hear you calling them. Father, maybe there's some in here today who, who are just kind of standing out there on the outskirts of the church. This can be true of members and guests alike. Lord, I pray every one of us would know what steps we need to take to move to the center, not stay out on the edge. Lord, maybe there's some in here today, they know they, if they're going to take that step. They need to have a little bit more formal, a little bit more uh, committed connection to the church. Maybe there's some in here, you'd say you need to be a member, you need to belong to that church. God, may they hear your voice saying that. 
God, would you just move through this room, speak to our hearts. Let us know what we need to do, what steps we need to take. And if they need to come forward for salvation, if they need to come forward to join our church, would you tell them and give them that faith and courage to take that step? We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.